Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. We have a jam-packed show for you today coming up here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. The Lakers' Danny Green will join us. We'll also talk with NBA.com Seku Smith. But before we get to all that, Otto, what is up, my man? What is up? What is not up? We got we got we got NBA coming back. Uh, we got uh, we got we got players testing positive for COVID in the NFL world. I and mean, this is just a kind of a micro microcosm of what I'm dealing with. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we felt like the news was so big that we needed two big time guests on this show, right? Exactly. Like like that was the premise behind it. Like, double the news, like, double the guests. That's what we do yeah, here. Absolutely. And so, you, you know, it, there are going to be some fun conversations with Seku and Danny. Danny also recently engaged. Otto, I have to ask you this. What do you think was a little bit more nerve-wracking for him? Proposing to his then, well, I guess now, fiancé or winning an NBA championship ring? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the engagement because, you know, yeah. you, you only get one shot at that. And is, I don't care what anybody says, you, you, you never really <laughs> fully know what you're, know what you're doing. Uh, going into it, so yeah, yeah. You know, from from a from from a guy who has never done both and will probably never do both at this point in my life. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to say winning an NBA championship, uh, maybe. Is, is your girl? Does your girlfriend listen to the show? <laughs> she does. She does. Uh, I'm going to get hit with that at the end. Uh, but Otto, we we did get some uh, good basketball news. You know, with everything going on in not only our country but also in the world of basketball. You know, the the players had a call. They all kind of spoke their grievances. And, you know, the NBA is such a personality and player-driven league, and it's about the players, and it's about, you know, how they represent themselves. And, you know, it it was good that this wasn't coming just from the league, that the players finally got their chance to voice their concerns about this bubble environment in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, anytime you get, you know, a few hundred people together, you know, no one's going to agree on, on, on exactly everything. I mean, um, you know, Kyrie Irving led a group of NBA and WNBA players that asked the question, should we even be playing given uh, where we are with, with respect to some social issues or, or the social issue of the day going on? And so, you know, it's a, it's a fair question to ask. And I don't think uh, anybody should be called out for it. Now, having said that, um, it feels like that's going to be more of a more of a speed bump uh, on, on the way to, you know, on the way to a season. But um, but you have to, you know, at times like this, it's important, I think, for everybody to, to be able to you know, kind of say their piece and, and be heard and, um, and, and, you know, you go from there. 
Absolutely. And you look at, you know, one other league who's specifically having problems with this, where their owners and their players do not get along at all. The NBA loves hearing from their players association and they love hearing their sides of things. It seems like those two units operate more cohesively than any other um, professional sports league out there. So it's good to hear from them. And it's good that this isn't just a one-sided thing, but we got some really good conversations. You ready? Let's do it. Let's get to it. Well, we have a special guest today. He is Danny Green of the L.A. Lakers two-time NBA champion. Danny, how are you? I'm great. I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing okay. Now, listen, uh, before we get started with the basketball, I hear uh, congrats are in order for uh, the recently engaged Mr. Green. Yeah, man. She said yes, luckily. Thank you, guys. I appreciate <laughs> it. What, what does a proposal in the midst of a pandemic look like? Um, I mean... It's different, but uh, I mean, it's it's only the way she wanted it, the way I think how she wanted it, and how we would do it. You know, just us being to ourselves, being quiet, uh, not around a bunch of people. So uh, we went up the the we drove up a little bit towards Santa Barbara area, um, rented the Airbnb, just chilled it. Some friends gathered around, and afterwards, anyway, we went to the beach ourselves just to kick it, watch the sunset, and just did it there, just us two, and then. Uh, had a nice little rendezvous at the house with some of her friends that would, uh, showed up, drove up to celebrate some of my friends as well. So it was real chill, quiet, and uh, simple. Was your heart racing? No, I'm not a I'm not a nervous guy. I'm not a guy that I mean, obviously, nothing you can prepare for, or uh, you know, could do it as smoothly as you'd like to. And now you can do it a bunch of times, or, or think about what, when time came to. I was I wasn't nervous, but uh, when you get down to it, it's like you. you trying to say whatever you know comes from the heart and say well but when you're down there they're not really listening they don't really care they just want to get the ring so uh she didn't really hear anything that i said after she's like what did you say and i was like i did give you a whole you know three or four stanzas of a little poetry i don't know if you <laughs> were listening but she, and i was like no nah, i just said something simple and um you know she said yes actually she would marry me and she said yes and so afterwards she didn't really care about what i was saying she just wanted to the ring and say yes so but it, it turned out well she said yes Cool. Now, now, obviously, you, you you did this right before what is you know expected to be a restart of the season. Uh, how are you gonna how are you guys gonna handle the bubble? You just got engaged, and now you're gonna be separated for a time, or you you is she coming to the bubble with you? Um, I mean, when we're allowed, when we're allowed visitors, she'll be down there. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't know how we're gonna handle the bubble. I've never been in one. I've never been in it. So, see how it goes. But it shouldn't be too hard. I said we're allowed family and friends at a certain point. Um, but I'm sure said so once we're allowed, then she'll be down there. So. That's awesome, Danny. And the best part is now you both have rings. But, you know, the, the thing that I go back to is how hard is that to kind of get back into the basketball mindset, especially when you're going to be playing games that count right from the get-go? Um, it's not too hard, especially if you never left the basketball mindset, you know. So it's not like uh, since this time I haven't been working out individually on my own and just been locked in. So, I mean, but to get into a team mindset is going to be different. The group settings is going to be a little different. But things are opening up now in different cities, so everybody's adapting, adjusting accordingly. So it shouldn't be too hard to get back into the flow of things. So you guys are obviously the Lakers are um, one of those teams that's been talked about all season long about you know playing for a championship at the end. Uh, however, this year playing for a team, for a title at the end now means a very very short off season heading into what would be a, a delayed start for a twenty one season twenty twenty one season. Yeah. So how, how how is that uh, – how, how are you feeling about that? Uh, to what extent are the guys talking about that, concerned about that? Uh, we're not – I mean, a little concerned, but right now we're just trying to get through 19-20 uh, season. 2021 will come when it comes, but we'll figure that out when we can. Obviously, uh, 
show on the Players Association and looking at that and want to change that. But um, right now we're just trying to focus on getting everything right now um, before we get into that. But I think we'll, we'll uh, be able to move forward accordingly where it has some layoff time, hopefully uh, for us to just get a little rest. But so right now I think we're just more focused on trying to get uh, get through this season first. Danny, what's going to be the hardest part about playing games that matter like these uh, without any fans? You know, when you think about, you know, the runs that you had both with Toronto and then um, down in San Antonio when you won titles there, you know, fans are such a big part of the playoffs, you know, and players feed off that stuff. How different is that going to be in that type of an environment? I'd assume it'd be weird, but I've never played in that type of environment not in a long time. But uh, I think it's going to be weird for us to adjust to and actually be around and not have the real fans with us. But, uh, you know, that's the circumstances we have to adapt and adjust to. Um, you know, the precautions for the safety measures. So, um, you know, it's, it's what it's going to take. But uh, I assume it would be very weird and very strange for us. But hopefully we have some sound, some noise in there. But, um, you know, we're there to play basketball and win some games. Any concerns with respect to COVID-19? I mean, obviously the the, the play will restart without a, a vaccine in place. And, you know, whether there are games in Orlando in, over the summer or, or next season, uh, it could be a while before there is a cure So what or a vaccine. So what, what's your kind of mindset about how you're going about your day-to-day to, to stay as healthy as possible? The same as I've done here. Um, everybody's just taking the precautions, wearing their masks and gloves when they need to. Uh, right now, I think most of the league has probably gotten and survived it, so I don't think they're as worried about it uh, now as they were before. Uh, I think they're just more worried about their families. Um, uh, it's hard to say, but so just taking the same precautions we do every day here, uh, figuring it out and just being safe as possible, um, you know, making sure we're going to be tested, just make sure nobody has anything, and then, uh, you know, figure it out uh, as we go. You know, Danny, one of the things I keep going back to is, you know, games ended on March, you know, we're now in the midst of June, you know, when the league didn't have any kind of practice schedule in place or weren't allowing you guys into the gym, you know, what were some of the conversations you were having with your teammates, with your support staff, just about making sure that you stay in basketball shape just around some of the drills or get togethers, you know, because it had to been different and it had to be difficult during that time. Yeah, it was different. Uh, most of the conversations was figuring out how we're going to get uh, equipment, workout equipment, and uh, how can we uh, maximize on the time that we have now. And we talked a lot of staff training, and then we do some Zoom calls and figure out. They sent us some weights and some bands, figured out how can they they can uh you know integrate workouts with us while not being in the facility. So we made it work. We had some some workouts, we had some Zoom calls. And, you know, things went smooth. We, we figured it out. But, you know, the facility's open now, so guys can take advantage of it now. So, Danny, when you came into the league, you were drafted by the Cavs, played with, mm-hmm. with LeBron, and now, you know, a decade later, basically, you're, you're playing with LeBron again. So what's the difference between LeBron of, of 09 and LeBron of 2020 in your eyes? Uh, He's older, obviously. I mean, back then he was in his prime, but he's still playing like he's in his prime right now. But uh, he's more of a leader, knows how to win. Uh, puts people in the right places that they need, they can be successful. And said he's just more mature, but he still you know, has a lot of fun, still good ball, but he, he's learned how to win since that time and learned how, to be, learned how to be even more stronger leader than he was before. Mm. Um, now, there's another issue that, that I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up. So in recent days, Kyrie Irving um, has, has you know, led a call with NBA and WNBA players talking about 
whether play should should continue right now, given the given the social issues that are going on in the country. Um, any 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 thoughts on that? Any any opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, we all have our opinions, but at the same time, I said I don't want to speak on it at this point, at this moment, um, because I said every time I speak on something, a bunch of different things leak, and I don't want it to seem like we need to move together as one voice. And right now, it seems like we're divided. Everybody has different opinions, different thoughts. Um, and because of every call that we've had, you know, things have gotten leaked. And obviously, Kyrie came out and said something uh, before we, I feel like before we had a chance to actually uh, speak forward as a unified group. So we'll wait till we have our team calls uh, and figure it out. Um, when, get it right on the same page before we have a voice and speak out of what exactly we want to do and how we want to approach it. Mm-hmm. He- you know, Danny, the thing I keep going back to is, you know, you, you look at some of your championship runs, whether it's with the Raptors, whether it's yeah. with the Spurs, and now potentially with the Lakers, you've played <laughs> with some of the league's biggest stars. And, you know, so much of what America was wrapped up in during this pandemic has really been the last dance documentary with Michael Jordan and just how those players felt a sense of responsibility with playing with Mike and making sure that, you know, every day they brought it. Is it that same yeah. way, whether it's playing with a player like LeBron or with Tim Duncan? Yes, exactly. Um, and that's just with them, with the whole team. You don't want to be letting the team down, and, or especially the guys that make the game easier for you. You know, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, um, so Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. But at um, the end of the day, it's a great group. We had a great team. And, and you don't want to be the reason why or the weak link or the reason why you guys didn't you know, push through or make it or, or get over the top or over the hump. So. Uh, that's why everybody, I, I believe, would be, you know, staying in shape and figuring it out because we, we know we have a good shot at making something special happen. When uh, Aaron brought up the uh, documentary, did you uh, did you uh, see it and have any thoughts about it? The documentary? Which documentary? Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, the Last Dance Jordan documentary. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I didn't know about it, um, inside the business side of it, um, you know, why the Bulls broke up. I was a young youngster then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was a good doc. You know, it didn't change or, or, or you know, veer me or my mind in any different way of Mike. I, I kind of knew what kind of personality he was, what kind of player or person he was, and why he was considered the greatest of all time. Um, but I, I thought it was very interesting, especially the other players. And uh, I thought it was a very good doc. You know, Danny, I, I've read in kind of your post-basketball life, when basketball is done for you, one thing that really excites you is the idea of broadcasting and that you've always had a backup plan and broadcasting is your backup plan. Why is that? What about just kind of the industry that intrigues you? Who are some people that you grew up admiring and, and you know, what's down the road for you? Um, it's just something on the resume I would add to. It wasn't just broadcasting, but I wanted to get into TV and communicate. I went to school with a communications degree and that's something that I kind of wanted to get into because um, that was fallback. It's the way to stay around the game and learn and understand and uh, also watch the game, uh, be able to study the game. Uh, so, you know, coaching is obviously another option, but it's not something that I really took serious. I wanted to get into uh, just because of how unstable it was. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing more. I'm sensing more Kenny Smith and, and, le- and less Charles Barkley. Okay. Say that again? <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing more Kenny Smith and less Charles Barkley. <laughs> I hope so, man. I mean, no, no offense to Chuck. He's gotten a lot better. Course, he's great. He's funny. He's entertaining. But Kenny's my guy. He's got to look up to. So yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You right. And, and the best part about you know, all this, Danny, is you, you know you got your podcast inside yeah. the green room with yeah. Danny Green. T- tell us about that. How fun that has been, and you know maybe some memorable episodes and things that you learned along the way. I learned a lot about my teammates, man. I think that's what makes it fun. Um, and all, everybody that comes on as a guest, 
Uh, so I've enjoyed it. I've learned about the behind the scenes of media. Obviously, with the sportscast at used, I learned a lot about that. Uh, but just how to interview people. Um, so just a lot about my teammates' background, people that's come on their background, uh, and how to you know use the platform and my, the voice to my advantage. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been great, man. I've enjoyed it uh, so so much. And people said in Toronto, take care of me, and even here in LA, even better. You know, the the setup that they gave us uh, has been amazing. What's the most surprising thing you learned? Yeah. So just being surprising things? Yeah. I mean, so just about my teammates. There's different guys, different things. I didn't know certain guys. Like Marco Saul would tell me he's a big gardener, you know, stuff like that, uh, how they grow up. Uh, so most of the time, it's, it's those things. There's nothing about – I mean, I said I went to SportsCast the year before I started doing it, so it wasn't that surprising about the media or anything behind it. But um, it was nice to see different sets, uh, different setups. Um, but so just learning about the people that have come on, and mainly my teammates and about their, their past. Uh, and some of the lives and how they grew up. So you're a man of a certain age. I, I imagine that uh, Stu Scott would have had a, a big influence on you on you growing up as as a from your uh, someone who wants to go into broadcasting. Definitely, uh, he definitely was one of the main reasons why I got into uh, you know and studied communications at Carolina and wanted to do or get into the field if that's what to work out for me. So what what can you tell me like a personal story from when you first saw him? Because obviously he was he was not like anything else that that TV had seen at that point. What was your what was going through your head when you first saw him on TV? I mean, I was a kid. I just I thought he was very good at what he did. And I said well, the first time I got to meet him was at March Madness, uh, you know, for or Midnight Madness at Carolina. And you know, you see these stars and you look at them as and they kind of look at you as alum now. And you're like, oh, this guy actually looks at me as a, as a brotherhood family, a part of the family now. Um, so he welcomed me just like everybody else has from Carolina with open arms. And I got a chance to watch him close up. And I just thought his energy was was amazing and unmatched. And I always watched him as a, as a kid, so I thought he was as great at what he did. And, and stayed around the game, got a chance to be around the game, knew the game very well, and uh, break it down and pitch it to us in a, in a unique way. Did you ever think about uh, you know, having a call oh, yeah. of your own? Cools the other side of the pillow, booyah, anything of you that, you, that you had? Uh, I mean, he had a bunch of stuff, man, that was good. It's hard to just pick one, but it wasn't a, any any type of call that was, you know, that, that was, like one in specific that I was like, oh, um, you know, a favorite. So I just loved how he uh, always uniquely expressed, you know, his love for the game or certain highlights, which was, was, was a lot of fun to hear and, you know, uh, see, you know, his energy and said uh, some of his analogies and just noises that he used when it described. And also was a football player, too. So when he, um, you know, said certain highlights of football games, too, would be, would be uh, kind of fun and funny to listen to and watch. That's awesome. Hey, D- Danny, it's amazing to think, you know, the NBA Finals would have started the first week of June. You know, that Raptors team that you were on is still now technically probably the longest reigning NBA champions ever. But when you compare and contrast your two titles, the one with San Antonio and with the one with the Raptors, what was the difference between winning the second title as opposed to the first one? Um, I said it was a different organization, man. I had a different group of guys, a younger crew. Younger crew. Um, in San Antonio, they had, we had more veterans, and they had experienced them before. You know, this is a country that's never experienced for in Toronto and Canada. Uh, so just being doing it for that, a country that's never experienced and a group of young guys that have never been there before was, a, you know, pretty special. Could you talk a little bit about your, uh, some of your three-point shots that you've hit? I mean, you've had some huge shots for the Spurs, for the Raptors. You know, talk about what the, uh, you know, the kind of the, the pressure of, of these situations and your, you know, do what you got to do to, to uh, help your team out. Describe the you said describe the pressure of the situation. Well, the, the, yeah, the the the, the situations in which you know your your team is down or you're 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 looking for that key score. You just talk about 
Um, I mean, you just in the moment of the game, you just you know what needs to be done, and it's more so not just the you know the shots or the buckets, but the possession of getting you know the 50 ball, Davin Owens ball is going to steal, rebound, all, all those possessions matter when it comes down to that time. Um, but also, you're more locked in on offense when the shot comes down. You, you want to be ready to be aggressive and take that shot. And what's going through your head like when you hit a dagger late? Uh, a dagger late? I mean, a lot of times, you mean like before or after the shot? Most of the like, time, you know, you, like you, shot. You, you, you put the shot, you know, you, you hoist the shot, it's going up, and you feel feels feels like it's going in, and, you know, goes in, and like that first, that first, uh, that first feeling. I mean, before the shot, it's, it's more so just being locked in and, and knowing that we need a buck, you know, we need something uh, to, to get the momentum or energy going, whether it's a dagger or whether it's a momentum shifter. There's always different plays or different shots that can change the momentum of the game. Uh, but once it goes in, I mean, obviously you're happy that it went in. You're excited about it. You, you know, you put your team in a good position. So, um, but in my mind, it's, it's never that. You know, the game's over. It's, you know, we made a good play. And now we got to finish off the, the the job by you know getting a stop or a rebound. So, um, I, I don't know exactly what you're looking for in, in terms of uh, the feeling of using them when after it goes in. Like if you're trying to see if I'm like. I don't know. I don't know what you're asking oh, exactly. That's okay. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's who's uh, perhaps a highlight shot was hitting a 30 foot uh, waste paper waste paper. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, it says, well, to us, it said if you and I mind you said at the, in the moment you're just living in the moment. You know, saying you're not really you got to act like you've been there before, not been there before. So a couple, a lot of us have been there multiple times before. Um, so you're excited about hitting a shot. You're happy about it, but at the same time. You know the game's not over. It's just because you hit a shot, you, you still have to play defense to get a stop. So um, you don't want to celebrate too much. But it said in that moment, um, you know you're just it said enjoying it and living in the moment. You know, Danny, I'd kind of be remiss if I didn't ask about this because I grew up a Kansas fan, and obviously Roy Williams coached at the University of Kansas for a long, long time. You got to play under him at North Carolina, and then you also got to play under Pop at San Antonio. You ever think what that's been like for your career, just learning from two Hall of Fame coaches? And, you know, what's the difference in kind of their teaching philosophies, especially in college? Because so much of that is probably just bringing you along. And then you also had to learn from Pop about being a professional too, right? Yeah, for sure. I learned, definitely had a professional from Pop, Timmy, Tony, Mono, all those guys. Uh, Coach Williams as well. I mean, you have to be a professional in Carolina too. Um, But they have, you know, very similar philosophies, but they teach it very differently, obviously. Coach Williams more Southern, uh, more hospitable. Uh, Pop is a little more in-your-face, blunt uh, type. Uh, but the, the kind of some obviously college basketball is different than NBA basketball, so it's a different type of style of play. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're very similar in how they attack uh, certain, uh, I guess, theories, philosophies, and how they get you in shape and do things the right way. Uh, and have, they want you to have a sense of urgency. So they, they're both very similar in that sense. Danny, I want to thank you so much for, for your time, uh, taking the time to uh, to uh, talk with us today. Uh, as you know, life is bigger than basketball, and uh, we're very happy for you, and, and best of luck with uh, with regard to uh, to your engagement. And, uh, of course, stay healthy, and best of luck to you. Yeah, so thank you, guys. Appreciate it, man. Yep. All right. Well, you can catch him on NBA.com, NBA TV, and, of course, the Hangtime Podcast. His name is Seku Smith. Seku, thank you so much for taking the time on joining Ottawa and I. How's it going? It's good, man. I appreciate uh, somebody else asking the questions. I'm usually the one doing that on my <laughs> podcast, so this is fun. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, when there hasn't been NBA since Mar- March 11th, you start to run out of things to talk about, but certainly <laughs> things start to pick up. 
I, I guess let's start with this. You know, we got plans for resumption of play. That's going to happen at the end of July. First off, what were your thoughts on the NBA's manifest? And do you think this will actually happen? Yeah, I do. I'll answer that second part first. I do think it's going to happen. Um, I think there's been a, an investment made already to this point that it would take something drastic for it not to happen. And I don't, I don't foresee what that could be. Um, I actually was in favor of a 16 teams, you know, eight on each side and going straight into the playoffs. Um, the the 22 team format was more than I was expecting. Um, I just felt like if you wanted to mitigate risk, you would bring as few teams as possible to Orlando and put them in that bubble or campus or whatever we're calling it. Um, the, the fewer teams you brought, the easier it would be to manage. Uh, the, the format they have now, brings teams that are not really going to be there very long. I mean, we have several teams that are going to be there for a very brief time, and then they're gone after the eight seeding game. Um, that means more people you have to monitor, test, try and keep healthy, make sure they don't, you know, nothing spread. I mean, there's just a lot more work to do with more teams, and I felt like 16, you know, would have been enough. But I'll say this. I wanted basketball back so bad, I was willing to take whatever they gave us. Um, so if it's the 22 teams, so be it. So, Seku, with respect to um, uh, guys who are going to be, you know, in the bubble, we've heard a lot about the bubble recently. Are are you? Uh, what What are your thoughts on on being one of those guys? You think you're going to be one of the guys? Do you want to be one of those guys? You know, I don't know. Um, we've heard so little. It, it kind of lets you know where the media is on the pecking order of uh, priorities. <laughs> we haven't heard a ton. We know there's going to be a tiered system, um, but I would imagine you're going to have to a not only get tested, um, but not have any other conditions that would would be that would put you in a, a tougher situation. I I've already talked to the powers that be at my place about being there. I think if you cover the league and and you want to cover what is an unprecedented season, you you want to be in Orlando. You want to do it as safely as possible, and you know your own health and the health of others being a top priority. But absolutely, I feel like if you cover the league, you want to be in Orlando in some capacity when the season restarts, because that's where all the action is going. Yeah, Seiko. And you know, the thing I keep thinking about is, you know, I, I actually live in Orlando and I'm here in central Florida. And, you know, the things that we keep seeing on the headlines are, you know, 20,000 new cases in Florida today, 18 states across the country have spikes in COVID-19 cases. This is obviously a massive concern for the league. And even when you have a bubble environment like this, how much are they tre- watching the current numbers that are trending and how much does that concern the league? You know, that's a great question. I, I think if, if if there's going to be a safe place for anybody to do anything, it's going to be in a controlled environment. And the league is going to have complete control over that, that campus environment at Disney. Um, I can't imagine there being a safer spot for the players um, and the people that would be in the on the campus or in this bubble. Um, but it, it has to concern you as we watch the numbers flip day by day this i was telling somebody this has been the strangest thing you know my wife had us outfitted with masks and lysol and hand sanitizer and then we didn't and then we went back to it and you know for people who are responsible for taking care of their families and taking care of people the the narrative has changed so much since march and the orders from the medical community or the health community have changed so much we're not sure what it's going to be by july 31st so i'll be interested to see just 
when we get to that point? You know, have we come to some some basic tenets of how you stay safe during this thing? And is that what they're going to go with in Orlando? Or will they have their own program that they've devised and come up with based on, you know, the medical experts they've discussed this with and, and figured out a different protocol? So let's let's assume that, you know, everything happens like it should. There's, there's season or the remainder of the season, playoffs, finals. Do you feel like the championship is going to be tainted in any way? You know, you've heard some guys talk about, well, it's not a real season or your asterisk on the season. What, what do you, what do you take? What's your take on that? You know, I, I thought about that. And at first I thought, well, yeah, I guess you could look at it and say, you know, it's not a true championship because we've had this long layoff. We didn't let things play out naturally. And then I thought about it again. I actually think this is a tougher championship to win um, mm-hmm. because you'll have had to deal with some things that no other NBA champion ever has, um, you know, not even during wartime or anything like that. I mean, this has been a true global shutdown, meaning, you know, it's not just affected us here in the States. It's affected your entire global population of players, um, you know, in their homelands and everything else. I mean, this has been an absolute shutdown of the basketball ecosystem for months. So if you can come out of this, get your team together in a, in a, you know, in a weeks and then grind it all the way through a normal playoff run at a completely different time of the calendar than you're used to. I would, I would actually think that was a tougher championship to grab than we have when we're in what used to be normal times. And Seiko, you know, the thing I keep thinking about is, you know, how many players when this shutdown happened, we were hearing about that just didn't even have hoops at their house, you know, because they didn't need them. They, they could go to a gym, they could go uh-huh. to their facility and they could shoot there. And so we saw them putting hoops in, in their front yard. You know, this has to tip in favor of the veteran led teams, you know, and, and maybe not so much the deep team. But when you think about a team that's fitted with LeBron and AD who have some kind of chemistry and have been through a grind before, this has to tip in their favor, right? I, I guess, um, I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I go back to my early days covering hoops. Um, you know, the, the summer circuit, AAU ball, grassroots ball. These guys all know what it feels like to show up to a city they've never been to in a lot of cases and get in a ton of games over a short time and kind of the best team wins. This is going to be that system that they're used to from years ago for a lot of these guys on steroids. It's going to be that for whoever gets to the finish line, oh, you know, over the course of months. So I don't know if it rewards veteran teams or teams that just get hot when we get to Orlando. Um, I think it, I think it certainly plays in the favor of the teams that were already stacked, cohesive, you know, and understood their roles and kind of had a rhythm to their season after 60-plus games. The teams that we saw that were having trouble, you know, finding themselves in Mar- in early March before the shutdown, I don't think this has helped you at all. I don't think this time off has done anything for you as a team. But the Lakers, you know, the Clippers, the Bucks, all the good teams that, that were trending in the right way, I think it, it's done nothing to hurt those teams. So it's, it's certainly – not a completely even playing field because the more talented teams are still the more talented teams after months off. That doesn't change. Um, but I think whoever can get back up to speed quickly will be, will be benefit. You know, the, the teams that benefit the most 
And and obviously luck is going to play a part of this. You know, do guys stay healthy? Does does you know the Rona bug doesn't doesn't bite anybody? You know, just to make sure that it, guys are doing what they what they need to do, and the people that they're coming in contact with are are uh, everyone staying healthy. But uh, so you you talked about the teams you you think that it would uh, favor. Who do you see in your in your finals? Who would you have in your uh, in your uh, in your championship round? I've kind of waffled back and forth in the East between Milwaukee and Boston. I felt like Boston had the makings of a team that could get get on a run in the playoffs, even before the shutdown. I thought mm-hmm. they had the components you would need to get hot, play well enough to get all the way to the to the NBA Finals. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm flipping coins right now between Milwaukee and Boston in the East. I know what Giannis and the Bucks can do. It's just a matter of, seeing them do it you know last year they they ran into a toronto team that was just cooking um in the west you know like everybody else i've kind of gone back and forth between the clippers and the lakers i just have a hard time going against lebron and ad if those are your two best players and if they're healthy if everything's even uh you know i know the clippers are deeper and i know the clippers have two great players in Kawhi and paul george leading their way, and they and they might be the best team of all of these, you know, when we look at them in totality. But there's something about this season and the way LeBron was playing before the shutdown that I I just felt like he had that edge, you know, about him. Even 17, you know, years in, he had that, that look that he was getting ready to play for another championship. Oh, I was going to Oh, go for it, Adam. Uh, you, you know, you know, it's funny. With, with the start of the season, people were talking about, okay, Clippers, Lakers, the Western Conference Finals being played in the same city. So we basically have the same thing, although that's not exactly how people, we thought we were going to get here. Uh, just the same city as Orlando, not not L.A., not Staples. Just... Yeah, I mean, I w- you know, we were all coming up with catchy phrases, you know, and whatever we wrote, the battle for L.A., whatever, you know, all that good stuff. We're going to get it probably. I mean, we'll still get it. It'll just be across the country, and you know, in a gym at Disney in Orlando. And that's fine. Like I was telling somebody, I don't really care about the venue. And I know home court advantage and all the things that come with the normal playoffs. I've been in those buildings. I, you know, I've, I covered the, the Rockets-Warriors game seven a couple of years ago. You know, um, that that whole series actually. You know, I've, I've been in those different venues when that seems like it's the tipping point for whatever team or having that home court comfort, not just the advantage, but just the comfort of being at home and being in your own city, waking up in your own bed the the, the day of a huge game. I understand the benefit of that. But by the time we get deep into this postseason, these guys, like they always do, will have adjusted to whatever the circumstances are. And I, I feel like it's a lot like what we see in World Cup and Olympic competition. And and I've covered both. I was in London um, in 2012. I was in Spain in 2014. After you get as deep into this thing as these guys will, it won't matter what gym you're playing in. What's at stake is the championship. And that means guys lock in and perform no matter who's around them, whether there's people in the stands, you know, whether or not um, the guys who are true champions will show themselves at the end of a competition. And I think that's what's, you know, be the case for whoever makes it to the finish line in, uh, in this summer. 
Well, Seiko, the thing I think that we're all glossing over is, is, you know, the second that someone wins that championship and when they say they're going to Disney World, they're, they're going to say, I'm just happy to get out of Disney World, aren't they? Like, like that's what it's going to be at the end of all this? Yeah, I look, I, I'm a veteran of Disney trips with my, my family. And I've agonized every time we've packed up and taken the kids there. And I've certainly agonized at the end of it when I look at how much money we spent. So, <laughs> you know, this is going to be an undertaking. And I think we heard Adam Silver talk about, you know, you, people are talking about the money that the league recoups by playing the rest of the season. They're not talking about how unbelievably expensive it's going to be to house all of these teams in, in these, you know, in a foreign site, because normally teams are incurring the cost, you know, in their own markets. Um, and the visiting teams have to, you know, pay their own way when they show up for games. And I mean, there's a very distinct rhythm to how this works financially. And that has been interrupted. I don't, I don't know if, you know, that's something that we've also glossed over is just, what kind of undertaking is this for the league? Um, it's media partners. Huge. I mean, you. I, I know every outlet has to decide whether or not to spend the money to send their people to cover it or not. You know, and what does that do to you uh, financially in a time when the, the economy is in shambles and the country and the world is still in the throes of this pandemic? I mean, there's there's a lot to evaluate when you talk about this restart, not only for the league and the players but everybody again in that orbit in that basketball orbit this is it's huge i mean i can imagine the amount of contingencies that have been discussed in meetings and so glad i don't have to be on those calls yeah i can only imagine how many different scenarios the league is playing through just if one player test positive if maybe five on a team and you know that was one of the questions we talked about last week was just what the roster construction would look like you know they've said 15 players but you really need to extend to probably 17 or 18 but you know you mentioned lebron and there's no bigger player that's of importance to the nba and the nba's image than lebron and you know you specifically mentioned that he was having an mvp type level campaign but when i think about it you know and otto and i have had this conversation numerous times if this season didn't play out and we never got a conclusion to it how crushing that would be to lose an instance of lebron where you know athletically he's not as gifted as he once was but he is as sharp as he's ever been just how big of a loss would that have been not only you know for the basketball ecosystem but the nba as a whole if we lost an entire season of, Le of LeBron and potentially LeBron in the playoffs? Oh, I mean, I mean huge. And, and I would argue, I don't know how diminished he is athletically. Um, he's certainly not the high flyer he was, say, in 2011 or 2012. But he's still way above average, um, just in terms of his physical abilities. He's, it's been stunning to see a guy not lose his, his skills the way LeBron has. I mean, I've, I've watched Kobe's whole career, um, Dwayne Wade's entire career. We've seen great players come and go um, in the last 20 seasons, you know, and I can't think of anybody who made it to the end without being a diminished, you know, product compared to what they were early in their career. LeBron will have uh, absorbed the least amount of physical attrition that I can remember of a player in this league. Um, over the course of what amounts to 20 years, basically, by the time he finishes playing, or 20 plus, it, it it's a it's a brutal thing for him to lose a season. Had that happened, 
because he is on that clock. He is on that timeline that he and everyone else can hear ticking. Like, you only have so many shots at this thing. Even if you're a great player like he is and you've been to the finals as often as he has throughout his career, there's really only so many more times that you have to get here, Um, you know, because other teams are going to pop up on the radar there. The Warriors, whoever gets in your way, you know, there's going to be somebody that prevents you at some point from getting there. So he he can't afford to not resume this season just from a legacy standpoint and, uh, uh, you know, trying to compile as many championship seasons as he can. This is more critical for LeBron. I, I think it's the most critical for LeBron and Giannis, one, two, in that order of anybody else in the league from a selfish standpoint because LeBron has to do it for his legacy and Giannis has to do it because we don't know how long he's going to be in Milwaukee. So the Bucks have to try and win this thing while they know they have Giannis under contract before free agency and the rumbling start. They need to be able to get at least one championship in his, you know, in his time with the Bucks in case that time does not happen to be the next, you know, decade after this. And Sekou, so the one thing that we're probably uh, missing here is is that given the the social climate in the country, and a couple of days ago we we had Kyrie Irving leading a call with NBA and WNBA players talking about whether the season should continue just simply on the on the social issues facing the country and facing you know the, the kind of the um, area that players find themselves in with re- with respect to you know coming out speaking out on on, on uh, police brutality and other things going on at this point. What's your what's your sense on how that will play out? Um, you know. mm, um, it's a tough question, Otto, because I think there's been no greater proponents of social justice and change in the last seven eight years than a WNBA players and their NBA brethren, and I and I think we conveniently forget that the Minnesota Lynx were as fervent as any sports team that I can remember in putting their support, you know, behind the movement, you know, before it was chic, before Roger Goodell and and other people came around later, you know, they, they were at the forefront and that Miami heat team after Trayvon Martin's, you know, uh, murder were, you know, they were the teams that I remember stepping up and stepping into that void when, when few other people would, um, we forget what teams have played through. The Los Angeles Clippers played through an unbelievably nasty racial, you know, incident with their owner at the time. You know, when when Donald Sterling owned the team, so the idea that you couldn't play through critical social times in this country to me seems a little short-sighted when you know that that platform you'll own throughout the course of this playoffs and whatever this run is to the restart of the season would be far greater than anything else you would have if you didn't play. Um, and, I, and I posed this question to somebody earlier. What do we do next? Like, what do we do when the spotlight shifts to something else, to whatever the next crisis might be in this country or for the world? And when the Black Lives Matter movement or the social justice movement doesn't command the spotlight and the headlines the way it is now, that's what I'm curious about. Does your movement as NBA players, does your impact on it stay strong? And is it unified? And is it as impactful as it could possibly be? Do you get that sitting out 
and letting this season fade away? Or do you get it by playing, having that platform, having that media crush on your players where they can speak their minds and protest and, you know, march, whatever they want to do, you know, do you have a better chance of that getting done while you're playing or not? And I think you have a better opportunity if your season is going on. And Seiko, what does that say about the young players in the league? You know, you think about Trey Young and Jalen Brown, who were leaders of movements, you know, just their comfortability with themselves and then also their place in the league for using their platform for change. I think it tells you that it's it's such an individual thing and it's all about what kind of education you have on the issues, um, what kind of belief you have and and what you've learned and, and what you stand for. Jalen Brown went to high school seven miles away from my house here in Marietta, Georgia. So I've known about him for a long time. He was a very political, uh, you know, politically astute high school player. Um, that was one of the things that was written about him when he was, you know, just coming into his own as a player long before he hit the NBA, that he was a guy who was a big thinker and a guy who thought about the world beyond basketball and wasn't afraid to do it at, at the time when he was, you know, watering his career as an elite basketball talent. So I think it has to be in you. I don't think it's something you can just pop up and, and try and jump into. And I, and I applaud the young players, older players, any player that feels strongly enough to stand up and, and, and be heard on these issues because there is a risk. There is a risk that people tune you out because of your celebrity, because of who you are, and dismiss you as somebody should just do, you know, just play basketball or just do what, whatever it is you do as opposed to speaking out in this manner. I, I appreciate these guys because they're, they're upholding a tradition that was started long before they were born of, of superstar athletes, you know, being vocal and being a part of that movement. You, you only have to go back to the civil rights movement to see the Bill Russells, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Jim Browns, um, the Arthur Ashes, all these people who came before these guys who were willing to sacrifice whatever it was to be a part of a movement. Absolutely. Hey, Seku, it's always tremendous when we get a chance to catch up on these things. And thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us today. Sure, and I don't appreciate you guys. That was dope. Wow, that was great. Uh, Aaron, so what was your biggest takeaway from what uh, Seku was talking about? You know, and the, the fun thing about talking to Seku is you always get such a breadth of knowledge and he has such a pulse of what's going on with the NBA. I thought the fact, you know, that he didn't hide the fact that these players are going to be in a campus-like environment for two and a half months and, you know, how that weighs on them, what the pace of play is going to be like, what the quality of play is going to be like. And, you know, it speaks to the same things that we spoke to Bobby Marks about last week is, you know, there's real concern among NBA players about coming back and ramping up, but it's also going to be good for the league to finish a season. And, you know, the thing I kept going back to about what Seiko said is, you know, it's not just us who realize how important this season is for LeBron, right? Not just for his legacy, not just for his numbers, but for the overall ecosystem of what the NBA needs to look towards. And LeBron is a big part of that. And we speak about that a lot on this show, and sometimes it feels repetitive, but there's just no way around it. And, you, you know, with Danny Green, the thing that I, I took away is, you know, a lot of times on this show, and I, I think you started a show the other week saying, you know, if you don't realize someone is human, well, now you do. And, you know, Danny Green is human just like the rest of us. The guy during the midst of a pandemic gets engaged. You know, that's a big life moment. And you forget that people, while we're social distancing and while we're 
kind of on our own. You're still having life events. You're still doing things that matter. And that's important to remember at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, I mean, for me, uh, the fact that uh, Danny expressed passion to the degree that he did about broadcasting and wanting to go in there, uh, you know, and do that. I mean, um, you know, you always love to see players engaged in, in, in their, in their day, in their daily craft, but you also love to see people, you know, realizing that, Hey, this, this is, there's a shelf life to this. And once this is over, there's an area where I can go and grow and expand. And, and that, that was really cool. And to hear him talk about Stu Scott was nice. As far as Seku, there were, there were two things. One, the, the platform that players have, um, you know, again, like we were saying, you got to give respect to, to people to, you know, let people voice their opinions on, on topics, but, um, to not acknowledge that there is an would be a tremendous platform, uh, that would, that would come along with, with players taking the court is, is huge. And the second thing, uh, that, that Seku said that really kind of, you know, kind of locked in on is, you know, once you, once you play a couple of games and, you know, they roll that ball out and, and if you're in a gym, it doesn't matter if there are 20,000 people surrounding you or, you know, or, or just a bunch of, you know, five media folks in the, in the first row. I mean, you know, players are there to play. They're professionals for a reason. They will, you know, th their games will will translate and transport. And I'm sure we will be enthralled by uh, by all that we see. When, when you ask Danny about hitting a three pointer, do you think he just tried to play it cool? You know, that when you hit a three <laughs> in that kind of situation, that you don't get jazzed up because there's well, no way that you don't. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I've hit so many threes. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Not. the only buckets I hit are layups, man. Yeah. <laughs> the only buckets I handle these days are the garbage on Monday nights, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you guys. And we hope that you enjoy our other programming here on Pure Hoops Media. As always, Mike Weiss comes at you with some fire guests. This week, it was the Nets' Garrett Temple. That was a really fun listen. Otto, I'm not sure if you've caught it, but make sure you catch it on your drive home. Tuesday, as always, is the Full Court Press with fans and Adam. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt. And as always, Friday is the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. Hey guys, if you love our shows, if you enjoy them, if you like what our team is doing, the only thing that we ask, the only thing that we would really like you to do, rate and review our shows and then share it with all your friends. You guys have no idea how much that does for our shows. Hey, and look, Aaron, it, it's it's coronavirus era, so I don't have a commute home, but but I will, but I will go on and listen. And uh, hey, so for everybody, this is the the uh, the, the expanded edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Uh, I want to thank our producers Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor Ben Wolf. And as a final uh, reminder to everybody, uh, these times are crazy, but we will get through them if we can get through them together. So be smart, be safe, and be respectful. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.